You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Hey, my name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors on staff. I'm setting my timer. I'm not checking my text messages, so just in case you were wondering. Um, yeah, so, so this morning, if, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be turning to Philippians chapter 4, as Stan said, and... Um, what we usually do as a church, if you are new, what we usually do is we take one book of the Bible and we walk through it systematically and we just look at what God has for us that week in the passage that we're in, which um, leads us to talk about some hard things that maybe we wouldn't choose to talk about, but if it's in there, then we should talk about it. So that's what we usually do, but we, we do have some Sundays where we come to places where, where we're kind of in between or maybe it's a special Sunday or Christmas or whatever, um, and, and that's... That's kind of what, where we're at this morning. And as, as we were talking about in, in our teaching team, okay, what do, we, what do we want to talk about? The guys were asking me, Luke, what do, you, what do you feel like we need to hear from God as Anthem Church, as, um, as, a, as a group of people? Maybe, maybe you're just visiting, maybe you're not a believer, maybe you, you don't know about all this, this God stuff. But, but the thing that, that I was thinking about as they were asking me this question is, you know, we, we stand kind of on the cusp of a new year, right? And, and it's so interesting to me as, as we stand at this place where we're kind of looking out on 2018 and, and, and what is God going to do, there's lots of times where it's just, I'm, I'm excited for what God's gonna do, right? I'm, I'm excited for what's gonna happen in life. I'm excited for where we're at. I'm excited for where, where we're at as a church, where we're at as a ministry. I mean, we, have, we have Salt Company, the, the campus ministry side of things. That's gonna be starting back up the 18th. Uh, we have youth group gonna be starting back up the 15th. We've got, we've got intro to anthem class. We've, we've got all these things that are happening. I'm excited for what God's going to do. I'm excited for, for where I'm at with my family and where my kids are at and just, just all these different things. I'm, I'm excited about what God's going to do and what, what this new year might bring. But at the same time, if I'm honest with you, there are times where I look out over a new year, I look out over the possibilities and I look out over what might be, and there are times where, man, I just start to get anxious, I don't know if you're, if you're like that, but, but for me, there, there are times in my life where, where I look back on New Year's, I look back on, on Christmases, I look back on things like that, and, and, I, and I think about what happened in that in the space of a year. I think about all the, all the good, but all the bad, and all the, all the things that seemed bad at the time, and they were really for my good, but, but it's, <laughs> there are times where I get to the end of a new year, and I think, man, if I would have known everything that was gonna happen at the beginning of this year, I think I would've just checked out. I've been like, no, I'm good. I just, I'm, Lord, come now, please, right? Because I don't wanna go through that. And, and there are times where, where we do, we, we all have things that come into our lives. We have, we have those, those difficult times, whether it's conflict or just, or just things that are just off. They're just not right, right? They're, they're, not, they're not good. And, and the, the passage we're gonna be looking at this morning we're going to be looking at 4 through 9 in chapter 4. But the context that it was written in that Paul, the author of this passage, the author of this, this letter, this book of Philippians, we see that there's a context that this is written in. And in, in verse 2, 
we see that context. He, he says, I entrust Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He says, look, help these women who are in conflict, help them resolve this. He, he is addressing conflict in the church. And it's not just fringe people, it's people that he loves and people that he cares for and it's people who, who are maybe in positions of leadership, people who love Jesus and yet there are, there are things going on that it's just, it's just not good and it's not right. And he says, look, you need to help these women, you need to help restore relationship and, and, and there is, there's conflict in the church. There's a difficult situation. Things are, things are just off. I don't know about you, but sometimes when, when I go through things like this, whether it's, whether it's conflict with people or whether it's, whether it's situations with medical stuff or, or different things, like my, my tendency is to just try and, like a, like a kid who's, whose parents tells them to clean their room, right? you, you just push, push it all in the closet. You put it all under the bed and, and you just make everything look decent and you, you push the, all that stuff in a closet and then you shut the door, right? You, you push it all in and you ever, you ever done that before where it's like you can't close it if you don't hold the stuff and then close it quick and get your hand out of there. And then, and I, I used to do that as a kid. I'd, I'd put stuff in the closet and then I'd go tell my mom, I'd say, hey mom, like my room's clean, everything's fine, I'm good, my, my space is, my, everything's good, just, just don't look in the closet, I wouldn't tell them that, right? Because that would be a dead giveaway. It's like, everything's fine, just don't, just don't look in the places I don't want you to look. Everything's fine, just don't, just don't push on things that, that I don't want you to push on. Don't look in, uh, under that bed, don't look in that closet, don't ask me certain questions. Everything's, everything's fine, I'm just coping. And yet, when we go through difficult things as followers of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, God wants more for us than that. God wants more for us than just coping, than just getting through, than just, than just shoving it aside. And that's what I see in the passage this morning. Okay, Paul is Paul's addressing a difficult situation. And the, the first thing that we see is he, he, he kind of gives them the what. what. What do you do in the midst of that? And in verse 4 of chapter 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, remember the context, right? Remember, the, the, let's just stop there with that verse. Remember, he, he's speaking into this conflict, and he's speaking into this difficult situation. Things aren't good, and, and he's reading this, the, the true companion that, that Paul is talking to, he's reading this in front of the church. So could you imagine if you were Eodia or Syntyche, which, first of all, weird names, right? But second of all, it's like if you were sitting there, and, and it's like, oh, we got a letter from Paul. He's in prison. Let's see what he has to say. And you're reading through it and everything. It's good. It's kind of a good letter to read. It makes you feel good. And then he gets to this part. And it's like, and Iodia and Syntyche. And if you were with those people being like, oh, man. And everybody else is like, yep, I know what's going on with them, you know? And, and he says, look, what you need to do, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. And it's like, uh, let, me, let me make sure you hear this. Because I, I know what's going on. I don't want to make light of it. But let me say it again, because I want you to hear it. Rejoice. 
You see, there, there are times where if you're like me, that feels so cliche, doesn't it? I mean, if you were, if you were talking to somebody about struggles and trials and, and things that you have going on in your life and, and they said, well, you know, rejoice in the Lord. Let me say it again, rejoice. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm not going to talk to you again. You know, it's like that's not helpful. It's like somebody saying, hey, let go and let God. You know, and like, like just put a bumper sticker on it. And sometimes what that feels like is people are like, I don't want to hear your problems. So let me just, let me just put an easy slogan over it and it'll be fine. And just hopefully you go away and don't tell me anymore. And yet if that's, if that is our, if that's our response to this, which to me, that's kind of my response when I hear in the midst of this conflict and struggle and trial, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Let me say it again, rejoice. If that's your response when you hear that, maybe the the problem isn't what Paul says, but maybe it's our perspective about the situation, right? Because have you ever had that? Have you ever had a situation where maybe you're taking in information, um, but then you you get a different perspective and it just changes everything? Have you ever had that? I I remember one time, so so my daughter, we we had a, um, she had double transplant a few years ago and and just some crazy stuff, and and during that time, uh, we had this organization that wanted to help us out with the medical bills and just awesome up in Iowa and and uh, they were going to have an event where we were hoping that as a family we could go and they were wanting to to honor her and and all these things but they couldn't my wife and my daughter couldn't go so my son and I went and what what the organization did they went up to Minneapolis where we we did all of our hospital stuff they went up to Minneapolis they interviewed them both they asked them a bunch of questions and then they put together this video and so during the event Jackson and I were sitting there watching this and everybody, you know, there's a room full of people and it's this big event, big meal, like all this stuff going on. And, and uh, my wife and daughter are up there and they're talking and then at the end of the video and they're like, and guess what, Jackson and Luke, guess where we're going? And they take out these Mickey Mouse ears and they put them on, we're going to Disney World. And, and then they, like these people handed us Mickey Mouse ears as we're sitting there and I'm thinking, this is awesome. Like everybody's like, woo, yeah, Disney World. And I'm thinking, yeah, Disney World, that's awesome. I look over to my son, thinking that I'm going to see a kid who just found out he's going to Disney World. You know, you, you would imagine that response. And instead, I see just, like, kind of consternation, you know, like, like just not happy. And he said, Dad, Mom and Lainey are going to Disney World? <laughs> I said, no, buddy, no, we're all going to Disney World. And he's like, oh, and then it changed, right? <laughs> and I mean, you can imagine, you can imagine that response. But see, the, the, the reality is when, when he got that new perspective, when he got new information, it changed, it, like it, it became something to rejoice about. I wonder if, if we approach things and it's like, rejoice in the Lord. Okay, yeah, okay, whatever. I wonder if it's, if it's that we need a new perspective, right? If that's cliche, if that's like, I don't know how to do that. Okay, let's, let's get a new perspective. And so Paul, it's like he's saying, this is what you do in the midst of this conflict. But, but then he goes on kind of to say, this is why. Right, let me give you the why behind the what. And he goes on in verse five. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Okay, why do you rejoice in the Lord? Again, let me say rejoice. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now we can say a lot about the, the idea of reasonableness. And why does he say that there? That reasonableness, it could be translated like peace 
or a gentle spirit or patience. So it's this idea in the midst of your conflict, okay, like, like be patient, be peaceful, be, it's like self-sacrificial kind of idea. But then he goes on and he says, this is why. Because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is, there, there's two ways that we can read that, and I believe there's two ways that Paul wanted us to read this, and he wanted his audience to read this. The first way that we can read this is that we need to understand the coming of Jesus is imminent. The coming of Jesus is imminent. That's, in, in Paul's writing, we see that over and over again. We see that throughout Scripture. We see that in, in the beginning of, of Genesis, where the, the sin happened in the fall, and, and Adam and Eve, and all that stuff, and God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring someone. He's going to crush Satan. He's going he's gonna to end this, and we see this. That happens in the cross, but there's still there's, there's messed up stuff, and things are still not right. And, but then we see in, in Revelation, we see it at the end of everything that Jesus will return as a conquering king. And he will, he, will, he will put sin and death under his feet, that, that he will wipe away every tear from every eye, that, that he will undo all the, all the sadness. That's what I, I love the, the um, passage. I think it's the last battle in the Chronicles of Narnia. It talks about how he, he will undo all the things that were sad in the world. He's making them come untrue. And we see places like in James um, in James 5.8, James, the brother of Jesus, says this, you also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. See, this was a, this was a mindset in the early church, saying be strong, be patient, because the Lord, he's coming back. We can trust that. And, and guys, I don't know what your end time theology is, but here's mine, okay? My end time theology is that I believe Jesus is coming back, like his, his return is closer today than it was yesterday. Can we all agree on that? Like, he didn't come back yet. So if anybody told you that, they're wrong. It's probably, I would get away from them, right? That's not, that's not good. If they're like, yeah, Jesus came back in 1974, it's like, yeah, I'm, you're a crazy person. I'm going to go this way, right? It's, it's it, it, Jesus hasn't returned. And so we have that hope. We have faith in, in the fact that he is going to come back. But, but Paul, not only did he want his audience to understand that, but he also wanted them to understand that the presence of God here and now is real and tangible. That God is with us. In Psalm 145, verse 18, it says, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Matthew 28, uh, 20, at the end of Matthew, when Jesus is crucified and he's resurrected and he hangs out with his disciples and then he's getting ready to go back up into heaven, uh, Jesus says this, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, we, we see throughout scripture the reality that God is with us, not only is our hope out there somewhere, not only is our hope in the fact that Jesus is coming back someday and this thing I'm going through, someday it's gonna be made right, someday, but the reality is our hope can be in the fact that God is with his people. Now he is Emmanuel, God with us, right now. And Paul says that is a motivation for rejoicing and yet oftentimes we forget that when we come into conflict and we come into these, these hard things. Oswald Chambers in his book, um, My Utmost for His Highest, he says this, we act like pagans in a crisis. Only one out of a crowd is daring enough to bank his faith in the character of God. What's so funny? Did I misspell something? Uh, we, vegans is also bad. But pagans 
If you're a vegan, I'm sorry, and if you're older, you don't know what a vegan is, so it's okay. So that word was supposed to be pagans. We act like pagans in a crisis. Okay, can we come back? Uh, we act like pagans in a crisis. What, we act like, what he's saying is we act like the Israelites, right? When they come out of, uh, when, they, when they're delivered out of Egypt. And do you see that with the, with the plagues and all these things that happen? He, God is bringing them out and they're rejoicing. And then they come to the Red Sea. And what do they say? Was there no graves in Egypt? We had to come out here and die? And then God parts the Red Sea and they walk through and they rejoice. And then they get to a place where there's no food. And they say, couldn't we have died in Egypt? Where's God now? And he gives them food. And they rejoice. And then they get to a place where there's no water. And they say, couldn't we have died in Where's God now? And then God provides. And then they get to the next place where they get to Jericho. And it's the, there's big walls. And it's, the, it's, it's just insurmountable thing. And they say, couldn't we have died back there? Let's go back to our chains. Let's go back to our bondage. Let's go back to these things. And God's saying, no, I am here with you in the midst of this. I am with you. And we forget that so often. I... I uh, Todd was telling me about this um, Martin Luther, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, the monk in Germany lots of years ago who started the Reformation. Um, it, it, I, I read this earlier. It talks about how he, he suffered with depression, like, like major depression. And, and in one point, uh, his friends told him, hey, you got to get away, like get a change of scenery. Maybe it'll help. And so it says he went away, but he came home as miserable as ever. And when he went into the sitting room, his wise wife, Kate, Catherine Von Bora, was sitting there dressed in black and her children round about her all in black. Oh, oh, said Luther, who is dead? Why, said she, doctor, have not you heard that God is dead? My husband, Martin Luther, would never be in such a state of mind if he had a living God to trust to you. Then he burst into a hearty laugh and said, Kate, thou art a wise woman. I have been acting as if God were dead, and I will do so no more. Go and take off thy black. Isn't that, I mean, I don't know if I would do that if, if somebody's struggling with, you know, oh, oh, God must, you know, but, but the reality is, is in the midst of these conflicts, is the reality of God something that causes you to rejoice? Or do, do we forget? And the question, though, is all right, all right, how do we do that? How do we get to a place where, where God being present and God being tangible and God being at hand brings us to a place of rejoicing? I think Paul goes into that. I think he goes into how in verses 6 through 7 and says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So first of all, he says, don't be anxious about anything. But I, I love the fact that he doesn't just say, well, don't do something, but he, he replaces that, that thing that he says, don't do with something else. See, that, that idea of being anxious, the, the, the kind of the, the word that that was translated from is this idea of being troubled with cares, like being overly troubled with cares, like the things that are coming up. And, and, and Paul says, well, don't do that. Don't, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, first of all, with prayer. It's almost like if you were to say, tell somebody, well, don't be troubled, don't be, don't be anxious, and it's like, okay, okay, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. Now I'm anxious about not being anxious, right? Now I'm, now I'm overwhelmed by cares because I'm not supposed to be overwhelmed by cares, and I don't know what to do with all this, you know? It's like, no. He says, take that away and add something else. He says, first of all, with prayer, 
What is prayer but a turning to God? What is prayer but, but going, like taking your eyes off the thing that's just off and the thing that's wrong and the thing that just is, is bringing you these troubles and worries and taking your eyes off of that and putting them back on God? Changing your focus, elevating your thoughts, your, your eyes, your life, your mind, taking them off this thing. And then he says, with prayer and supplication. I think it's interesting that he, that he uses another word to describe what kind of prayers. Because it, I think the, the reality is, is Paul is human and these people he's talking to are human, they're real people with real things going on. And he's saying, look, don't just pretend like nothing's wrong, but, but give it to the right person. That idea of supplication, it's, it's the action of asking or begging for something earnestly or humbly. It's this, it's this idea, it's like, oh God, help me. I have this thing, I, 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 I'm trying not to be anxious, God, God, bring your presence, bring your peace, I, this is what's happening, here's where my job is, here's where my daughter is, here's where, here's where my life is right now, God, but, but not only is it a turning from the thing that's wrong and off and turning to God who, who can bring peace and, and comfort and all these different things, but it's saying, give it to him. Bring, bring what's wrong to the person who can actually do something about it. It reminds me of when I, was, my, when I, when I remodeled my basement, and many of you helped me, and that, that was just a plethora of sermon illustrations because I remember one time I was down there trying to sheetrock and stuff, and I don't know what I'm doing, um, but I was sheetrocking, and there was one place where this pipe was running through, and I just kept looking at it, and I had Brock looking at it, and different people looking at it, and, and I just... I was like, oh, what do I even do with this, with this thing that's running through here? And Stan comes one day and is like, oh, I don't know what you do. You just blah, 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 blah. And, they, they, I mean, and it was like done. I, I just kept thinking, are you kidding me? Right? Like, how many times did I stand there and just stare at the problem? And I just stood there and just like, oh, I don't know what to do with this. It's just, I'm, you know, I just felt so anxious about drywalling around this pipe. And Scott came and he's like, yeah, this is what I would do. And it's like these people who actually knew how to do it. It's like if I would have just done that in the first place, I would have saved myself so much anxiety, so much trouble, so much stress. But we don't, do we? We shove it in that closet. And yet Paul's saying, no, replace anxiety with going to the right person. Right, with going to God, and he says, with thanksgiving, with the right attitude, not in anger, not in blame, not in, not, not in saying, God, you did this. God, you forgot me. God, you, but, but this understanding that God is good. I, it was reminding me of, of Romans chapter eight, verses uh, 31 and 32. It says this, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? There's so much more in the end of that chapter that I would love to go through. But it's this reality, what, what Paul is saying here is he's saying, look, when we go to God, when we give him our things, like make sure we do it with the right, with the right understanding, with the right, with the right attitude, with thanksgiving, knowing that, that he, has, he is for us. He is fighting for us. He is at hand. He is with us. See, that's, that's how we change our perspective. That's how we begin to rejoice in the Lord. The, the answer to anxiety, which Austin, we were talking about this uh, one day, and he was saying, it seems like anxiety is just an active, active distrust of God. It's creating a reality where God doesn't exist. All these, all these stressors and what ifs and all these, it's like we're, we're taking God out of the equation. 
And yet the answer to that, what Paul says, is thankfulness. It's understanding if, if, if anxiety is an act of distrust of God, thankfulness is belief in action. Being thankful for what God has already done, that he has already made us more than conquerors, that he has already given us his son, that the Bible says that he works all things for good for those who love him. Maybe it doesn't feel like that at times, but, but the Bible says it is. See, and, but then he goes on and, and it's like, well, and then what, right? It says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love how Paul kind of drops these promises in the middle of our, how do we do this? He says, you, you do this, you, you come to God, you change your perspective, and the peace of God, this, this security, this safety, the peace of God. When, when I think of peace of God, I think of Matthew 12, 20, where it's, it talks, talks about Jesus, a, a prophecy about Jesus. It says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. When I think of that, I think about how there are so many times where I've come to Jesus broken and messed up and hurting and even not very thankful. And not, there are times where I have, cussed at God because of our situation. I can remember one time when, when um, my daughter, again, she, was, uh, she got a fever and we had to take her to the hospital and then she had to be taken by ambulance up to Minneapolis. And, and it, you know, it was just that there was a bunch of stuff surrounding the situation. But right before that, we believed that God had healed her. We believed it because there were different things that happened and just there were yeah, it was just crazy, and we believed with all of our heart, with all this faith, that God had healed her, and the reality was, he didn't, and he hadn't, and I remember standing out in my driveway with my, with my good friend at the time, cussing at God, like literally cussing at God, I won't do it here, because it wasn't good, and I praise God that he did not snuff me out, I praise God that he did not break me. I praise God that, that he did discipline me, but it was as a father disciplines his son that he loves because he is at hand. He is with us. He's with his children. And that, that is motivation for rejoicing in the midst of the trials and the troubles and, and all of these things. And it says the peace of God will guard our hearts and our, and our minds because our hearts and our minds, they need to be guarded because we are so prone to go back. We're so prone to go back to those things, to go back to those anxieties and those chains and that bondage. And yet Jesus says, no, just give them to me. Just trust me. Paul goes on and he ends this passage by getting super, uh, just super practical in the how again. How do, we, how do we change our perspective? He goes on in the end of it, it's verses eight through nine. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Just stop there. He says, think about these things. Here, here's a list, right? Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. What is he doing? He's saying, look, in the midst of this conflict, in the midst of the trials and the struggles, re the reality is that God is here, and what you need to do is you need to elevate your thinking. There are so many times where, where I'm going through those things, and I'm trying to push those things in the closet or under the bed, and what I'm believing, it's not true things. 
I'm not listening to what's true or honorable or commendable. I'm listening to what I feel at that moment. And what I may feel at that moment is that God doesn't love me anymore, which isn't true. The Bible says that that's not true. And what what I feel in the moment is that God has forgotten me. What I feel in the moment is that God doesn't care about where my next paycheck comes from because my job is in jeopardy. What I feel in that moment is that God has abandoned his, he, he calls me his child, but he is a bad father because he has abandoned me in the midst of this. And Paul says, no, in the midst of those things, when your feelings are trying to tell you things, when you're trying to, and when it's easier to listen to lies than it is truth, he says, no, focus on what is true, whatever's honorable, whatever's commendable. I, I love it where he says, he says, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, it's almost like he's saying, look, even if you have to scrape the bottom of the barrel to find anything that's, that's good, grab hold of it. Because what changes constantly is, is what I feel and what I think, but what stays constant is the God of the Bible who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you. I am at hand. I am with you in the midst of that trial. I am with you in the midst of that conflict. I am with you in that hospital room. I am with you in that job site. I am with you. Turn to me. Give me, give me all of your burdens, all of your chains. Give it to me. He says, elevate your thinking. But then I love what he says right after that. What he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. He says, elevate your thinking, right? Think about what's true, pure, noble, honorable, commendable. Think about those things and then practice those things. Isn't it, isn't it interesting that he starts with your thoughts? He says, okay, yeah, we need to change our perspective. If, if God being at hand is, that's the reason for our rejoicing and we don't see that, we see that as cliche, then you need to change your perspective. How do you change your perspective? You change your thoughts, because if you change your thoughts, you change your actions. Because if you see somebody doing something, that's, that's just like a fever. There's, there's something deeper going on that causes actions, right? There's something that, that happens. Ralph Waldo Emerson um, says this. I, I love this quote that I found. It says, watch your thoughts, for they become words. Watch your words, for they become actions. Watch your actions, for they become habits. Watch your habits, for they become your character. Watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. And it all starts with thoughts. What, what Paul's saying here is he's saying, elevate your thoughts and then let your actions flow out of what is true, not what you feel. But then he, he also, I, I love the, the command to practice these things because not only is he saying, okay, it starts with your thoughts and, and then like actually put it into practice, but he says practice these things. It's almost as if, again, Paul is saying, look, I don't want to minimize what you're going through. I don't want to make light of it. And I know, that, I know that you probably won't be able to do this perfectly, but what I want you to do is I want you to practice it. I know that at times it's hard to rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice, but practice it. I know at times it's hard to, to, to believe what's true instead of listening to the lies that are coming in because, because your situation feels like God has left you, but your story's not over, and that's not what's true. What's true is, is, is God is with you, and I know it's hard to live out of that, but practice that. 
I know it's hard to, to say, okay, God, I, I'm keeping my focus on you and not on my situation, but, but practice that. Do you see just the love that Paul has for his people and the love that God has for us? This isn't, this isn't about you being perfect. This isn't about you doing it perfectly. He's saying, just, just practice these things. And what? Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. He ends it again saying, look, God is here. God, the, the presence of God is here. He doesn't say, practice these things, think about these things, practice these things, and God's peace will be with you. Which that would be awesome, right? I'd, I'd take that in the midst of situations and struggles and trials. It's like, yeah, peace of God, great. He says the God of peace, the one who brings peace, the one who, who has it all under control, the one who knows you inside and out, the one who loves you, the one who gave himself for you, the one who, who, is, who has sacrificed everything for you to come into perfect relationship with him. What Paul says is that God with us. See, Anthem Church, what I want us to, to get is the fact that God is here and that is motivation for worship and rejoicing. And isn't it, isn't it so comforting when you see somebody in the midst of a crisis respond correctly in light of experiencing and knowing the presence of God, isn't that like when, when things are going down, when, when sickness happens, or when, when you see somebody responding, knowing that, yes, the situation is hard, but God is good, that, there's a peace that comes, isn't there? I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but there's a peace that comes. And guys, we live in a culture that is constantly just swimming in anxiety. We live in a culture where there, there's no assurance. There's no, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen. I mean, with North Korea, we don't know what's going to happen with, with our economy. We don't know what's going to happen. We, I mean, you name it, we don't know what's going to happen. And isn't, I, I believe that if we can be a people who respond to those things, who respond to things that are off, not only within the body, but outside, if we can respond to those correctly, understanding that God is present in the midst of all of this stuff, and so we don't have to freak out. We don't have to, to, to give so much undue pressure and anxiety to those things because you know what? We serve a God who is here and present and he has it under control. Guys, not only do I want that for us as individuals, but I want that for us as a church that we can live out, we can be in this community and we can show people what it looks like to live understanding God's presence, going to him, giving him our anxiety. Paul says rejoice. Again, I say rejoice because the God who made heavens and the earth is the God who invited us to be in relationship with himself. Let's, let's pray. God, I, I praise you and I thank you for your goodness. I praise you for, for how uh, you've created us. God, I praise you for who you are. I praise you, God, for, for the fact that you are with us, that we can, that we can come to you even, even in our pain and our brokenness, and, and you will not snuff us out, that you, God, you, you're just a good father. And God, I pray for those people who are here this morning who maybe they're in a situation where it does not feel like you're good. They're in a situation where it feels um, like you're anything but good. And there's trials, 
and there's conflict and there's whatever else, but God, I pray that you would, that you would reveal to them just the truth of who you are. God, for all of us, help us to, to as, as we watch the news, help us to, to be focused on what's true, what's honorable, what's commendable. As we, as we go through life, our workplace, whatever it is, God, help us to be focused on the right things. Help us to be focused on you, God. It's in your name. Amen.